hey, I am excited about what the Lord has given me to share today. And I'm gonna be honest with you, it is not what I expected. Don't you love when God does something that is unexpected and he just blows your mind? The Lord has just been blowing my mind. I wanna talk about conflict. Have you guys ever had conflict before? Yes, everybody's scared to raise their hands. Conflict is in our lives. It just is, whether it's internal conflict or external conflict. And I find that often when we have conflict in our lives, we like to associate conflict with people, right? You've already been thinking of somebody since I just said that, okay? Maybe with your spouse, your kids, your parents, a coworker, okay? You're thinking of somebody. We've all had conflict and we like to associate that with people, but the Bible actually teaches that there are spiritual forces of darkness that are warring against us in the supernatural realm. Check out what the Lord says in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now I wanna tell you, we are not here to glorify Satan and his kingdom of darkness. Aren't you glad to be a part of a church that isn't glorifying the kingdom of darkness? I believe that Satan has already been defeated by Jesus on the cross when he said, it is finished. It was done. And I also believe that we were created for a purpose and that purpose is to bring glory to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the bright morning star. That is a good place to clap right there because that's why you were actually created. It was not for us. It wasn't even just for people. We were created to bring glory to God. And yet I believe that if we just ignore the reality of conflict and that there is an enemy of your soul that is seeking to steal, to kill, to destroy, to devour your life and the purpose of God for your life, you will live in a state of deception. And I believe today that if we expose the lies and the tactics of the enemy, that what we're doing is we're opening our hearts and our minds to the truth that we need the grace and the redemption of God. We cannot do this life on our own and we weren't intended to. And so I want you today to close your eyes and I want you to visualize what you think of when I say the word Satan. What do you, what do you visualize? What image do you see in your mind? Okay, open your eyes. How many of you in the room would say you saw red-faced, pitchfork, devil horns, fire in the background. Anybody see that image when you think of the devil? Okay. I have many times thought it would be so convenient if that's how Satan showed up to us in our lives. You know why? Because when he would come along and he would tempt us and he'd say, hey, can you believe what that girl just said to you? We'd say, oh, Satan, I see you. I see you, I, I know what you look like. I have told my small group that before, you know, it would be so nice if the enemy just showed up with a pitchfork in hand because we wouldn't fall to his temptation, right? But the Bible actually describes the enemy very differently, okay? And this is what it says. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and he's telling them, he's like, listen guys, a lot of people are easily deceived. And this is what he says. And no wonder, 
that people are being easily deceived. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So basically, here's Satan. He's a master con artist. And he appears to us as light, as good, rather than evil. And in fact, the name Lucifer, which we hear him described as in Isaiah chapter 14, it literally translates to mean morning star. This is not the red-faced, horned, scary-looking devil that we often see. No, he comes to us as an angel of light. And I want to propose this idea to you that often when we think about the scripture and the original sin, what do we think of? I know for me, I always thought of the original sin back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. They're in the garden and they're tempted and they partake of the fruit that God said, you can have all of this fruit that I have provided you, but not this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they partook of it. That's often what we think of when we hear the original sin, but the Bible actually says there was sin that preceded the Garden of Eden. And this sin is a sneaky one. And it lurks around every single corner. You've probably already had temptations for this sin this morning on the way to church, or even since you got here. This is a sneaky sin. It's not one that we easily recognize in our own heart. And even when we do, sometimes we kind of justify it. This is the very sin that preceded the Garden of Eden. It's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven and it's called pride. And so today I wanna give you the case against pride. Lucifer, he was actually a guardian cherub. He was a created heavenly being and the Bible describes him this way in Ezekiel 28. Now listen to this, because if you read this out of context, we would not think that this scripture was describing Satan. Ezekiel 28, this is what it says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, cornelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I, God, ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the Mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud. And on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor, so I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before the kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuary. So I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you were appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. The original sin that actually resulted in Lucifer being kicked out of heaven was that he became proud. He was so beautiful, so full of splendor and wisdom 
that he thought he could raise himself up and be like God. Now listen to this verse in Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Lucifer thought he could make himself like the most high God. It was pride. That was the original sin. It preceded the Garden of Eden. The definition of pride, if you look it up in the dictionary, it says having an excessively high opinion of oneself, conceit, vanity. Pride is arrogant, it's pretentious, it's puffed up, it's boastful. And I believe that pride is what actually disrupts the unity in the body of Christ. And our pastor preached an incredible message called Unity is Our Superpower just a couple weeks ago, saying that the commanded blessing of God lies in the place of unity in the body of Christ. And what disrupts that is pride. Do you know why? Because you can't be in unity with God if you think that you are better. You cannot have pride in your heart. And this is what pride does. It says, you know better and you do better than people and even more dangerously than God. Now, I know that if I asked you right this morning and I said, just be honest with you and with me, do you think you're wiser than God? No. Do you think that you're above God? I guarantee all of us would say, no, no. If anybody walked in here and they said, I am the greatest of all time, I am beautiful and wise and I am above God, we'd go, you're crazy. We would all recognize that as wrong. No, this is why pride is tricky. Because it doesn't parade itself. Sometimes pride just sounds like, I would not have done what she just did. Y'all might have already thought that this morning, right, driving down the road. Pride sometimes sounds like this. Well, if I were in charge around here, that would not have happened that way. Anybody ever thought that before? Sometimes pride sounds like this. How dare they say that to me? Do they know who I am? Nobody wants to admit to that one, right? I want to share a story with you. This is my story because the Lord gave me a revelation of this a couple decades ago, and it really tr changed the whole trajectory of my life. Um, I was a brand new, right out of college, 21-year-old teacher. I go into the classroom, and I'm in this beautiful little school, high-poverty school. The students in my fourth-grade classroom had tragically difficult lives, already 10, 11 years old, some of them had attempted self-harm, running away from home. One child tried to burn his house down. Many children in that classroom were just like the students that we're trying to help take care of. They didn't have food on the weekends. They didn't live with biological parents. It was hard. And even though I was well-trained and prepared for my classroom, there are some things that you don't know how to handle until you're 
in charge. And I'm standing in front of these kids and I'm looking at them and I'm going, oh God, use me, help me. I wanna help these kids, I wanna serve them, I wanna love them. Well, there was this one girl, girl in my class and she had already been retained. So she was older and bigger and taller than all the other kids and she was not doing well in life or in school, okay? Her life at home was not healthy. She did not have the presence of a biological father in her home, but other men were in and out of her home. She did not have a good relationship with her mom. You can imagine why. She did not respect her mother. She did not have friends. She did not know how to get along with people at all, constantly in a cycle of conflict and drama. She's only the fourth grade, and she can't keep up academically, and I'm going, if I don't reach this kid, like she's gonna just struggle all year. So I decide I'm gonna do whatever I can to reach this sweet little girl. And I start to tutor her, I get extra resources for her, I'm making sure she's got food at home, I'm meeting with her and her mom in an attempt, which kinda turned into counseling sessions, to help her learn to respect her mom. You can imagine knowing what I knew about her life and her background that her mom's going, you're telling her to respect me? I like you. And I start to see improvement. She starts doing better academically. I even have to literally teach her how to make friends and keep them. She didn't know how. And so she gets into the chorus club. I'm so proud of her. I'm like cheering her on. And in the middle of the year, we have a little chorus program. So of course we invite the families and we all go to the gymnasium and we clap and we cheer them on. And as we're leaving, I see the mom. She actually came to support and love her daughter. And I'm feeling so excited and grateful for this sense of progress in this little girl's life. And the mom walks over to tell us goodbye. I'm lining my kids up. I will never forget this moment for the rest of my life. We, she wanders over to tell her little girl goodbye. And as I'm lining my kids up, she walks over to me and she says, well, you have a good time babysitting while I go do a real job. And I heard nothing else she said after that because I was so appalled and angry, just straight up ticked off that she would dare say that to me. I could not believe, can you believe the nerve that she had to say that to me? Of all the mamas who could have come up and made a comment, the one that I had spent in my own time, my own energy, my own resources to try to help her daughter who was struggling, failing, had no friends, the one who could have said, thanks, that was great, love ya, goodbye. Nah, she made a comment to me that set me over the edge. And in the moment, I stood there and I kept my mouth shut and I said nothing, but boy, was I thinking some stuff. <laughs> boy, was I ticked off. And I did not have good wisdom or self-control because I didn't say anything to my students, but I went back to my coworker friends and I said, you're not gonna believe what this woman just said to me. And of course, how do they respond? Oh, no, she didn't. No, she did not just say that to you. I'm going home that day and I still can't get over it. And the only thing I can think about for the whole rest of the day, I gotta like get up and teach my kids is, well, go have fun babysitting kids. Well, I go to a real job. And you know what made it even worse? She worked at McDonald's right down the street. Yes, she did. 
just a couple miles down from the school. And I thought, I can't believe. You think that McDonald's is a real job? I put myself through college. I paid my way so I could help kids like yours who don't even know how to appreciate me. And I'm gripping that steering wheel and I'm telling the Lord one thing or two and I'm just arguing. And the Holy Spirit shows up in my car and this is what he says to me. Don't you know that I love her the same way I love you? And my heart just broke because I realized that beneath all the layers of me wanting to serve and to love and to give, there was something inside of me that was broken that I didn't even see I would have never admitted to and it was pride. Because somewhere inside of my heart and my mind, I thought, I'm better than you. I would never do what you do. I would never put a child in a home that is unsafe. I would not ever, I never struggled. Thank the Lord he rescued my family and broke the curse of drug addiction and alcoholism. But just because I didn't struggle doesn't mean that I should think that I'm better than her who did. And now I'm grateful for that mom. I'm grateful she said that to me. I'm grateful she ticked me off. You know why? Because she revealed to me something inside of me that was broken, that God said, I wanna fix that thing in you that has risen up inside of you and said, you're better than somebody else. You will never reach somebody for the gospel of Jesus if you think you're better than they are. And so I'm thankful. Next time you get ticked off, watch what comes out of you. Because on that long car ride down 26, that even was under construction then 20 years ago, on that long car ride, the Lord put me in my place. And I'm so glad. Because even then, if somebody had said, Jessica, do you think you're better than other people? I would have said, no. Of course I don't. If somebody said, hey, Jessica, do you think God loves you more than other people? I could have quoted scripture against that idea. But in my heart, there was pride. And I'm glad that the Lord revealed to me when something spilled out of me upon being provoked that said, let me heal that. Let me touch that. We don't wanna think that we have pride. And here's the thing, the Bible is just chock full of scripture that warns us against this sneaky little thing. Proverbs 18, 12, look at what it says. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 29, 23, pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Proverbs 17, 19, if you love to argue, <clears throat> then you must be in love with sin. That's a hard one. For the one who loves to boast is only asking for trouble. James 4, 6, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud. That is what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. He was proud. And there is room for only one king, one God, one ruler, one Lord, and anything that sets itself up against the authority and the kingship of Jesus is rooted in pride. And Lucifer, he had gotten kicked out of heaven because he was distracted by his own perfection and wisdom and beauty. The pride of his heart convinced him he could be like God. 
Now check this out. I was reading this week. I wasn't even looking for this. And the Lord illuminated this verse to me. When we go back to the Garden of Eden, there's Adam and Eve, okay? Satan shows up as a serpent. And what does he do? He causes them to distrust what God said. He says, well, did God really say not to eat of the fruit of that tree? And so they think about it, and Eve's thinking about it, and she says, um... Yeah, no, he did say that. In fact, he said, don't even touch it or you're going to die. And Satan goes, no, you surely would not die. God just didn't want you to eat of the fruit of that tree because he knew that if you did, you would be like him. Knowing between good and evil, the same sin that he fell for, the pride that says, I can be like God, he's now tempting mankind with from the very beginning of time, the same thing, and he planted that seed in their heart to think, I can be like God. I can know better than God. Now I want you to fast forward, okay? Thousands of years later, from the Garden of Eden, we're looking at the life of Jesus. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 is sending out 72 disciples, and this is what he tells them, I want you to heal the sick, I want you to preach the gospel, Okay, and this is what he says when they come back in chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were thrilled. Don't you know they could not wait to come back and tell Jesus? Like they had not been sent out before this on their own. They'd always been alongside Jesus, but he's commissioning them to go out in pairs, and they come back, and you know they probably got stories to share. Look at all this cool stuff that just happened. God, people are being healed, we're preaching the gospel, and even the demons submit to us. And I want you to listen to what Jesus responds. Just the craziest response I've ever heard, and he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now just pause. What in the world does that have to do with what they just said? Right? Have you ever read this scripture? Have you ever? I have read the Bible from cover to cover many times. I know this scripture exists. I never saw this until this week. And I wasn't even looking for it. Why did Jesus say in, in response to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven? He's giving them a warning. He's saying two things. He's saying, first of all, don't let pride set up in your heart. I saw where that got Satan, I was there. And he's messing with their theology because Jesus was a man, they knew him as a man. Like a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet, maybe they already had a revelation that he was the Messiah, but he was saying, no, I was here before the beginning of time. And this is what he says in the following verses, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, however, Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So in other words, Jesus was saying, listen guys, don't fall into the temptation of pride. I saw where that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Your power, your authority, your calling, your ministry, everything that you do in life is because of me. So he's telling us very clearly, hey, even in doing what is good, what God called you to do, what you're commissioned by God to do with your life, 
Even in that, make sure you understand where your power comes from. Make sure that you give credit where credit is due. And then he follows it up with that last statement. Hey, make sure you rejoice, not in the results of your life and of your ministry and of your calling and of your talents. Make sure that you rejoice that your name is written in heaven, which we all know we could never do or be good enough to make that happen. He's warning them. And I believe that Paul gives us similar warnings against pride. Look at what he says in Romans 12, verse three. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the fate that God has distributed to each of you. And Paul, which we could argue is one of the most incredible people in all of time, incredible revelations of the mysteries of God. He tells the people of Corinth, he says, listen, because God has given me these incredible revelations of the mysteries that nobody has known until now, the Lord actually allowed for me to be tormented by what he called a thorn in the flesh. You ever had a thorn? It's painful. It's just, it could be just little teeny tiny thing and yet it's constant nagging reminder. And Paul says, do you know why God allowed him to be tormented? He said, so that I do not become conceited for these great mysteries and revelations that God has given me. Even Paul was like, I do not wanna fall prey to the work of the enemy that sets pride up in my heart to think that I know better and I can do better. And so I believe that God has called us, every single one of us, me, I am starting this message with me. God has called us to live a life of humility. True, godly, biblical humility. When I was a kid, I was in a church service one time and um, this lady stood up back in the back, sweet little lady, but she wanted to share kind of a testimony and she started out by saying, well, I'm the most humble person I know. And I remember thinking, I was like 10 years old, I remember thinking, what? Isn't that weird? You just were bragging about being humble? Okay, that's not the kind of humility I'm talking about. But of course my family, we still will like laugh and giggle over that. If we feel like somebody in the family is uh, maybe struggling with pride, we'll say, yeah, are you also the most humble person you know? Just saying. Humility is demonstrated through the life of Jesus. So we have Lucifer who is beautiful and glorious and was created and was a guardian cherub who raises himself up to be high like God. And then we have Jesus who's the actual legitimate son of God, perfect in every way. And he could have come with a scepter in hand and said, I will crush all of you because I can but what does he do? He comes to the earth with humility. He's the antithesis of this idea of I'm puffed up and full of pride. And this is what Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So in your relationships with one another, Think of those people we might be having conflict with. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, and he certainly could have, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and then being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the death, even death on a cross. And therefore, meaning because he humbled himself and was obedient even to the point of death, God exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, that at his name every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Look at humility. The the, uh, dictionary would describe humility as freedom from pride or arrogance. And the Bible teaches a lot about humility. Humility is the fear of the Lord. That's in Proverbs chapter 22. Not fear like being afraid of God, but the fear, the awe, the reverence that God is far above all of us. So far above, we can't even fathom or imagine. It's valuing others above yourself. It's looking at that person that ticked you off or annoyed you or hurt you or offended you and saying, how can I serve you? Humility, it's taking the posture of true servanthood. That's what Jesus did. And humility is what actually allows unity. Remember, it's the commanded place of the blessing of God, the place of unity among the body of Christ. Even here at Rock Church in this room, we have to come with humility and a servant's heart to be in that place of unity with God and with people. Humility is the realization that you can't do this without God. And it doesn't matter how talented, how smart, how hardworking, how wise you are, humility helps us realize that we will never fulfill the purpose of God on our lives without Him, that we're giving credit where credit is due. We cannot do this without you, Lord. Humility is what causes us to trust God and to be dependent on Him in every way. Even when people like that mom come to you and they say, who are you? What do you know? If you're offended, listen to what spills out. Is it humility? I'll admit just a couple couple weeks ago, I, I had an issue with somebody. It wasn't even personal. It was just, I knew that I was going to have to say something. And the Lord spoke to me because what I wanted to say was, you better get your act right. But the Lord spoke to me and he said, how can you serve that person? And I was like, oh man, there you go again, Jesus, telling me the truth that I need to hear. How can you serve that person? If even Jesus, who was the son of God, who could have come and said, I am the son of God, bow to me. If even he chose the path of servanthood and of humility, how much more should we? Has pride ever convinced you that you don't need God? I know we wouldn't wanna say it, but sometimes it's in our heart. Are you working from a place of like self-sufficiency? Like, I got this, God. I'm doing it, grinding it out. Even for the work of the Lord, like the disciples, the work that God called you to do, even when you're doing what appears good and right. 
We can be doing it self-sufficiently. Do you think that you know better than people? That's an easy one. There's been plenty of chances, probably even like I said today, where you go, eh, I wouldn't have done that. If I had been around, that wouldn't have happened. Well, what about God? Have you ever done that to the Lord? I know I have, I'm just being honest. I've done that like, God, it, if you really knew what you were doing, you would have prevented that. That's pride. And I wanna invite you today to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you any pride that you have in your heart, any temptation towards the idea that you are better, that you do better, you know better, not just than people, but of God. Because it will disrupt the unity, not just of this house, but of your house. And that's not what God wants for your life. Will you allow him to take that pride and replace it? with true humility. I want us to just close our eyes. I'm gonna pray over us today. Holy Spirit, I know that you're in this place. I know that you have a word from heaven for us who are sitting in this room right now, God. And I pray, Lord, that just as you are so kind and so gracious to break my heart and make me realize that there was pride that I didn't see and I wouldn't have admitted to, and I didn't want to talk about, God, thank you. Thank you for revealing that to me. God, I pray that all over this room and even for people who are tuning in online, Lord, as our eyes are closed and we even bow our heads in a sense of reference and humility, God, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to our hearts and that if there is pride somewhere down deep in there, God, that you would replace it with true humility. Lord, that when people hurt us or offend us or there's conflict in our life, we would look not to that person, but we would go above that and see there's stuff happening in the supernatural realm against us. And we need to fight that battle there in the place of prayer with true humility in our hearts and to serve the people that are in our lives, our parents, our kids, our spouses, our bosses, our pastors, our leaders. Lord, I pray that you would eradicate any temptation toward pride. And Lord, I pray that when the enemy comes to us, even this week, even today, that we would recognize him and we would say, no, 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 not today, Satan. You're not gonna fool me today. As we're sitting here in this room and we've got our eyes closed, I know that there's probably somebody in this room who's going, man, I, I wanna hope and pray that I don't have pride in my heart. I'm honest, I just, I don't even know if I really have the kind of relationship with the Lord that you're even describing. You gotta start there. You gotta start in the place where you submit your life to Jesus. Because if anything else comes between you and him, it will not be to your advantage. And that's exactly what the enemy wants for you, to steal, to take, to destroy. And if you're not sure, if you've never made a true legitimate connection with Jesus and said, I lay my life down, I want you to do that today. I don't want you to leave this room without making that commitment. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand because we're gonna just pray together out loud in this moment. I want you to leave feeling sure and confident of your relationship with the Lord. So if that's you today, I want you to raise your hand and we're gonna pray this prayer out loud together. 
Let's all pray in this moment. Lord Jesus, thank you for showing humility, for laying down your life for me. I realize I can't do this life without you. Help me surrender everything to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life, not me. Make me the servant that you created me to be. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate this moment together?